The following audio is from City Rev Church. For more information about City Rev Church, visit us online at cityrev.org. You can join us live Saturday nights at 6 p.m., Sunday mornings at 9, 10.30, or 12, or you can join us online at cityrev.org. Well, I have a piece of groundbreaking medical research that I came across that I would like to share with you. And honestly, I am very excited to share this with you because it answers a question that I know that we've all been wondering for a long time now, okay? And probably most in the world have been wondering this. And I came across the research for this, and it answers this very important question. It's this, why do we yawn? I know, I know that's probably trouble. You might have even kept you up last night. Why do we yawn? Uh, what's its purpose? What's happening? Why does it happen to me? Why does it happen to everybody? What is the purpose of yawning? It's somewhat mysterious, but I came across some recent research that suggests why actually we yawn, okay? And it's a little bit disputed, but here's one, one theory. It's that when we yawn, it actually cools off our brain. So we have in our brain, if it starts to get uh, overheated or whatever, when we yawn, it's actually cooling off our brain, which I thought that sounded crazy. But then they explained the process of yawning. And as they explained, they explained anatomically what is actually happening. So I want you to think about yawning, okay? I want you to think about that process and, and what's actually happening. So first, when you first need to yawn, like you start to feel the muscles there in the, in the back of your throat, the back of your jaw, they, they start making you feel that sensation of yawning. And then slowly you open your jaw, very, very big. Maybe you lean your head back and all of that, that stretching of your, your face and muscles. First of all, it sends blood up to your face and your neck and your head. And then when you yawn, you're inhaling all of this air, which then is sending, it's like washing the blood down and the spinal fluid down your spine. And then as you're intaking this air, you're actually, that cool air is actually cooling also your head and your brain. And so that's a theory. It's very debated, but there you go. Now, you know, if that's why you tuned in, I mean, you have your answer. Um, why did I tell you this significant piece of scientific research? Uh, first of all, because I want you to be informed. That's important to me. But second of all, because I, I actually want to talk about another aspect of yawning, but I had to get you thinking about yawning first. So many of you, while I was talking about yawning, you actually started to feel the urge to yawn. In fact, some of you yawned while I was talking about that. And so if that was you, I, you need to confess that on the chat, okay? You need to see right now say, that was me, I, I confess it, I, I yawned. And the reason you want to confess that you yawned is because psychologists say, some believe, if you catch a yawn, that's because you have empathy. And if someone does not catch a yawn, it might be a sign that they're a sociopath. So... You're probably sitting there with your roommates or your family, and I just want to look around because if all of you yawned but one, okay, you, you have the answer you've wondered. They're probably a sociopath, okay? So go ahead and sign. If, put that on the chat. I yawned. Yawns are notoriously contagious. What is the dynamic? Why is a yawn contagious? It's because there's a part of us that we mirror each other. Next time you're in an interesting conversation with a few people, I want you to look at, this, look at the speaker and how that person is standing 
without realizing it, other people in the circle have probably mirrored that person. So if they're standing there like this, or they're leaning on the wall, or they're on a table and they're going like this, or they're scratching their face, oftentimes we will mirror that person without realizing that. Little children do that. Babies do that. In fact, parents, if you have little kids, you know that dynamic. When they fall down and they skin their knee and it's not bad, they will look at you and whatever reaction you have, they'll take on. So like if you're like, hey, that's not a big deal, they might pop up and run away. But if you get real freaked out and emotional, then they'll get emotional. There's a dynamic between two humans. We mirror each other reflexively. We do it instinctively. We mirror. Now, I'm telling you all this about mirroring, about yawning and contagious yawning and mirroring for this reason. If you can channel that concept of mirroring, you will get what is in the deepest desires in your soul. You say, that is a big promise that I highly doubt that you're going to be able to deliver. And you, you know, you may be right, but let's just go with it for now. If you can channel that concept of mirroring in the right way in your life, that thing deep down in your soul that you know that you want, and it's a little bit different for each of us, that thing deep down, you can get it. And I want to show you how? Okay, we are in this series called Follow Me. It's about this phrase Jesus used. And we're going to use, we're going to go to the book of Luke. This is a biography of Jesus. It's a book in the Bible. Luke wrote this. Uh, we're going to be Luke 18. Luke wrote this down uh, as uh, after meticulously interviewing eyewitnesses. This wasn't like written hundreds of years later. This was, he meticulously went back, talked to eyewitnesses and wrote down a very precise account so what you're seeing here, this is a, a historical encounter Jesus had with an individual. We're going to look at Luke 18, and we're going to start in verse 18. Um, this is a, a powerful, powerful interaction that Jesus had with an individual. Here's what it says. And a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the Ten Commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, all these I have kept from my youth. All right, let's pause there conversation there for just a second. Uh, this is not like a super surprising type of question that Jesus got. The guy is coming up to him. He's a ruler. We don't exactly know what that means. It's probably not meaning like royalty. It probably means that he has a very high position in the community. And so he's a ruler. He's got authority. He's got significance. He comes up to Jesus and he says, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? That question right there is pretty much the basic question every religion in the world is trying to answer. Every religion in history is essentially trying to answer that type of question. Essentially, what do you have to do to get to heaven? Or what do you have to do to get to paradise or nirvana or whatever the word is? What are the things that I have to do to get to heaven? Or what I think probably most of us in our culture ask, how good is good enough? How good do I have to be to get to heaven? What do I have to do to get to heaven? Now, he asked this question, and Jesus' first response is interesting. I don't know if you noticed this. Um, he calls him good teacher. How good do I have to be? And Jesus says, well, let's start this. Um, why do you call me good? 
Now, Jesus is not, you know, trying to, you know, harass him or just make the conversation difficult. He's trying to reveal, well, let's start with what is your existing framework of goodness? I think especially in our day, um, most people have their own framework of being good. You know, some people are like, look, I, I think as long as I'm a pretty good person, I'll, I'll get to heaven. I mean, as long as I've not robbed any banks, I've not murdered anybody, like as long as I've been basically good, I'm nice to people. You know, as long as I'm basically good, I think I'll get to heaven. Most people have their own ideas. Or maybe you grew up uh, Catholic or you, you uh, grew up Christian and you say, well, I think maybe I, I, I probably should have, you know, some involvement in church. And then you say, well, okay, but how much church do I have to have to get to heaven? I mean, is it just go on Christmas and Easter? Okay, let's at least start with there. Do I have to go more than that, less than that? Like, what all do I have to do? We're all trying to ask this question. So Jesus turns it back on him and says, okay, let's just start with this. You called me good. So let's start with what is your framework for what goodness is? And before the guy answers... He says, because no one is good, but God alone. Now, what Jesus is referring back to is all in the, the books of the law. So all the way back to Leviticus, what it says in the Bible is it says over and over and over, God said, be holy as I am holy. Be holy for I am, am holy. And so What's the standard for goodness? Typically what our standards are is we kind of look around at, you know, other people like, well, like I'm better than that guy over there or I'm better than that guy. I mean, I'm not as bad as that person. And so we look at each other, but Jesus here just kind of sets the, sets it straight. He says, no, the standard of like, how good do you have to be? Jesus right there, Jesus himself answered it. How good do you have to be? Jesus says, you have to be as good as God. Most people, if you stopped them on the, on the street and said, hey, are you a good person? I mean, the vast majority, almost everyone would say, yeah, I'm a, I'm a pretty good person. I would do my best. I'm not perfect. But if you ask them, hey, are you as good as God? Are you perfect like God? They'd say, well, no, most people would. Jesus says that, that's, who good is. that's who's good. It's, it's only God who's good. In fact, in, later in the New Testament, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We, we all fall short of God-like perfection. Now, the irony here is Jesus is good. <laughs> the rich young ruler is, is right that Jesus is a good teacher, but he doesn't know really why he's actually good. It's because the one who's standing before him, this rabbi, is actually God in the flesh. So then he says, that's kind of the irony of this. Then Jesus says, well, you, you know the commands and listen to the ones he says. He quotes five of the 10 commandments. Uh, don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't bear false witness, honor your father and mother. He, he gives um, five of the 10 commandments. And of all of those, the, the, uh, the ruler says, well, I, I've kept all of these from my youth. I mean, I've never murdered. Uh, you know, I, I don't lie. You know, and he goes through all of them. But what's interesting is the particular list that Jesus gave him, because all of those are, um, those are largely external things. They're important. Um, but there's one major commandment, the very first of the 10 commandments. In fact, when Jesus was one time asked, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus said, look, of all the commandments, there is one that is the most important. He says, to love your, the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Everything is basically built on that first most important. So 
why didn't Jesus include that? Why does he include these other ones? And the reason is because Jesus is about to expose something in his heart. Let's pick it up. Let's keep going. Pick it up in verse 22. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. And when he heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. So what's interesting is Jesus says, well, there's one more thing you lack. And he says one thing, but then he gives him three commands. So those three commands, I guess, equal one thing in Jesus' mind. Sell all you have, give it to the poor, and follow me. Three different commands that mean one simple thing. So, hey, here's what you haven't done. It's sell all you have, give it to the poor, and come and, and follow me. There's that follow me phrase that Jesus says that's so common Every single one of the biographies in the Bible, all the Gospels reference Jesus calling people to follow him. And what does this guy do? Um, We've been looking at all of these people that when Jesus said, follow me, they followed him. But we find out is that this guy doesn't. So we've had examples that of people that have followed Jesus, but here's one example of someone who didn't. Why? Well, because it says he, he was extremely rich. It wasn't just that he was wealthy. He was extremely wealthy. He, Jesus was saying, sell all of that. It wasn't that he just had to, to give up his hopes of one day being rich. He was already rich. He was already extremely rich. And the cost of selling all that and giving that away was too great for him to do. Now, you might say, okay, whoa, time out for a second. This guy's asking how you get to heaven. And Jesus told him that you have to sell everything you have and follow follow him? Like, are you saying that for me to get to heaven, I've got to sell everything I have and follow Jesus? Well, specifically what it says, Jesus says, is there's one thing, he's talking to this rich, uh, this rich man, he says, there's one thing you lack. Jesus is exposing something in, in his heart. And so this is specifically for him. Now you say, okay, whew, that's good because man, I am not looking forward to going out and selling everything I have. But before you sit back and disassociate from this command, just pause for a second and let's watch how this plays out. Let's pick it up in verse 24. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, then who can be saved? But he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Maybe you've heard this phrase before. It's a pretty famous phrase of Jesus. Maybe you've heard this before. or Maybe you're just now hearing it. Jesus sees the man who's sad. He, he hears that he needs to sell all that he has. I mean, that's going to cost a lot. I mean, it's a great sacrifice for this one, this man to follow Jesus. He's very sad and he walks away. He's not going to follow Jesus. And Jesus says, man, it is so hard for someone who's wealthy to, to get into the kingdom of heaven. It is so hard. He says, it's as hard as this. Imagine taking a camel and putting that camel through the eye of a needle. Now, I've heard this interpreted so many different ways. I've heard people say, man, I, what, how could an, a camel go through the eye of a needle? I've heard someone say, well, maybe in Jerusalem, there was a, a gate 
that was referred to as the eye of the needle. And, and maybe like the, it was hard for the, the camel and the camel had to kind of bow down. Like maybe that's what it's meaning. No, that, that's not what he's meaning here. He's meaning a literal camel going through a literal eye of a needle. That's how hard it is. He's saying it's impossible. Whoa, he's saying it's impossible for someone who's wealthy to go to the kingdom of heaven? Yeah, that's what he says two verses later. What's impossible with man is possible with God. He says someone who, is a, who has wealth, it is impossible for them to get into heaven. Now, you might be saying, well, whew, I, that's great for me because I'm broke right now. I don't have a lot of wealth. But notice what the crowd said. This was a crowd of all different types of people with all different types of backgrounds. And what they said was, when he said this, they said, then who can be saved? See, here's what they knew. There is a dynamic that Jesus is teaching here that doesn't just apply to someone like this who's extremely wealthy, which, by the way, if you take a historical and global perspective, if you are watching this message, you are the extreme wealthy of the world. But what he's saying is there's a principle here that applies to everyone. That, the crowd picked up on that because when he talked about the eye of the needle and the camel situation, they knew it applied to them and they started to get worried too. There's a principle here that if there's anything that is off limits for Jesus, that's an obstacle to following him. If there's anything in my life, if there's anything in your life that you say, Jesus, I've, I've done all these things. Okay, but don't ask me about this one thing. You know, I'll, I'll surrender anything, but, but this, I mean, we, we kind of know, right? Like, this is my thing. Like, this is my, the one thing in my life, and, and I'm not going to give this part up. I, please don't ask that, or, or I'll give you anything else, but not this. If there's any, if there's that one thing that is off limits to Jesus, that's going to be the thing that's going to hold us back. They knew this. And so here we have an example of, of someone that when Jesus said, follow me, he said, I, I can't. The cost is too great. And probably immediately all of them started looking into their own hearts and saying, what's the thing that I prize most that I'm not willing to give up? But remember, there were others that did follow Jesus. And I want to wrap it up, these, these, the story with these final verses Pick it up in verse 28. And Peter said, See, we've left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this life and in the age to come eternal life. Remember, there you got Peter and, and Andrew there listening, and we, we learned earlier in the series, they left their nets. They dropped what they're doing. They just, they, they left their nets right there on the shore. That was what the, all they knew. There was their job. They left their nets to follow Jesus. James and John, also fishermen, it says they left their, their father to follow Jesus. Matthew, who's a tax collector, they, he, it says he left everything right there on the spot to follow Jesus. See, we've already learned from this series about follow me. When Jesus looks at us and says, follow me, follow after me, make me your Lord, make me your Savior, become a Christ follower. When he makes that call to us, that means we are going to have to leave something behind. Specifically, we learned from Matthew, that means we have to leave everything behind. We're going to have to surrender all of it. We're going to have to open-handed let Jesus have access to everything. 
It's all yours, Jesus. I'm, I'm, I'm following you no matter what on this open-ended journey. But here's what we learn from, from this text. Following Jesus means giving up everything and gaining more. Following Jesus means giving up everything and gaining even more. Here, here's the, uh, what Jesus says was uh, no one who's given up anything that will, has not received many more times. You know, Mark and Matthew, two other books in the Bible who are also biographies of the ministry of Jesus, they give a little more detail on precisely what he said. He said, um, no one who's given up these things, everyone who's given up these things will receive a hundredfold more. In other words, I want you to imagine it like this. I want you to imagine an investment that you got a hundredfold back on. Not a hundred percent return. That would be like, if I invest $10, I get my $10 back and another $10 back, $20. No, it's not a hundred percent return. It's a hundredfold. That means I invest $10 and I get back a thousand dollars. So don't you imagine you, you hear about an opportunity for an investment that has a 100-fold return. And you test it out with the $10 and you get $1,000 back and you're like, wow, uh, if that'd work again, I'm gonna do a lot more than $10 this time. Maybe you're like, look, I, and you start doing the math. You're like, okay, what if I sold my car? I mean, this is like a once in a millennium kind of deal. So like if I sold my car, maybe I can get 10 grand for my car. What if I invested $10,000? You invest $10,000, you get, you get a million back. Now you're thinking, okay, if it's $10,000, if a hundred fold back, okay, 10,000, what if I invested a hundred thousand? Man, if I take a second mortgage out on my home, I get a hundred thousand dollars. If I invest a hundred thousand dollars, then I get back $10 million in return. I mean, that's not a deal you're going to pass up. This is, the, this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying when you, he's not, this is not a literal uh, percentage. This is a concept that's just as true. Anything you give up, you get so much more back. And what we learn to follow Jesus, we surrender everything. We say there is nothing that is off limits for Jesus. We say, Jesus, you are Lord. You're, I, I surrender everything. I hold it all out. Anything in my life, I give you access to. And when we give up everything for Jesus, we get even more back, more than we could possibly imagine. You say, okay, but literally, um, how does that work? Well, see, I want you to think about the, what that is most important in your life. I want you to think, what is that thing in your life that it's hard for you to give up? You say, like, this is the thing that's just off limits in, in your heart. You know, for some of you, maybe the number one thing that you prize most and treasure most, maybe for you it's success. And you say, look, I just have a drive. I want to achieve. I want to accomplish. There's a certain level I want to get to. There's a, a certain maybe position that you want to get to. And it's for you, it's about going after success. And here's what if that's what's in your heart, for those who that's in your heart, then going after success, the reason you're going after that is because deep down inside, if you can reach that level, you will feel valuable and significant. You're using success to find your significance. But what Jesus is saying, no, even, even your plan, your 10-year plan, your 20-year plan, your goals, your dreams, even that, Jesus is saying, I want you to surrender to me. I want you to offer it up and say, Jesus, I, if you 
if you have something different in mind, I, I offer it to you. You say, yeah, well, is he going to give me even more success? No, he's going to give you something exceedingly better. He's going to give you significance. He's going to give you significance. How is he going to give you significance? He's going to give you a purpose that has eternal value. He's going to speak right into your heart and your soul, speaking into who you are. You want to know about significance. You're getting adopted into the family of God, being called a son or daughter of Almighty God. Almighty God knows you and is walking with you, and he has a plan. It's his plan that he now says, and I want you to be a part of it. And he has a role for you to play in his plan. See, you offer up success. He gives you significance beyond what you could even imagine. Maybe for you, it's not success. Maybe for you, you're holding on to that, that off-limits part is you're like, okay, Jesus, I'll, I'll give you a lot of things, but not this one relationship. I mean, this is too important for me. Maybe it's because, like, because I, I mean, it's this boyfriend or girlfriend or, or it's this relationship or that relationship. It's, it's this is the most important thing. I, I'll do anything I can for this particular relationship. And Lord, I, I, you say, I, you can ask anything, but just don't ask of that particular relationship. Well, oftentimes the reason that that relationship becomes off limits is because we're using that relationship to feel like we're accepted and we belong to someone. And so risking that relationship, man, that feels like we're threatening. It's a threat to feeling like we belong because this person makes me feel like I, uh, that I, I'm treasured, I'm, 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 I'm valuable, I'm accepted. And if I, if I lose this, I, I don't know. And so maybe there's things about that relationship. You're like, look, I, I know there's things about this relationship that are dishonoring to God. You know, I, I know what God wants for my sexuality, but if I give those things up, I might lose this relationship. And so, God, I know that I'm not doing what you want, and I know that that might cause hurt and pain in my life, but ultimately, I'm going to do that because I'm going to hold on to this relationship because I'm trying to hold on to feeling like I belong to someone. And he's saying, no, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to offer all of it up. Whatever your treasure is, you're going to have to offer up, and you have to handle that relationship the way that Jesus asks you to handle that relationship. And when you do that, here's what you find. You get back even more. Because he might, you, you say, well, if I surrender that relationship, is he going to give it back to me? Maybe. Maybe not. He's going to give you something even greater. You're going to be accepted into the family of God. You're going to find someone who knows you. You're going to be known by God in a way that you've never thought possible. He, he knows every thought you've ever had. He knows every instinct in your heart. He knows everything, you, every moment of your life. He knows your every flaw. You don't have to hide anything from him. We talk about the intimacy of your relationship with your creator. He's saying, I want you to have that because that's gonna make you feel like you belong more than any other earthly relationship you could possibly have. Be deeply known and loved by almighty God. So put that relationship Surrender it to God. For some, it's pleasure. You say, look, I, I'm following after Jesus. I, you know, I'll follow you. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll do Christian things, you know, but there's just some things that I just, they just make me happy. I just want to do this. I enjoy doing this, or this is, a, this is how I go out and have fun, or, you know, this is what I do. I, I just, you know, this is how I find pleasure. It just, it makes me happy. And Jesus, could, I'll do other things, but I'm not going to give this up. This part is, is off limits. But if you're following Jesus, there's nothing that's off limits. And when you offer that up, he wants to give you something even more. 
because you're using that to find happiness, but he wants to give you joy. See, what we do in, in our society, in our culture, what we do outside of a relationship with Jesus is we try and go through our life that sometimes has happy circumstances and unhappy circumstances, and we try to just stay happy by linking together just a series of experiences together to keep us happy. We, just, we enjoy buying things, so we keep buying things, or we enjoy going out and, and partying, so we keep doing that. We try and just link all of these happy experiences. We try and just have pleasurable experiences to stay happy, but Jesus wants to give us something even greater. And if we offer that up, he wants, us to, give, he wants to give us joy in our hearts that no trial, no negative circumstance can ever take away from you. He wants to give you a joy that will lead you to rejoice all the time regardless of what you're walking through. That's what you really want deep down inside. He wants to give you joy. But for some, it's not that complicated. It's very similar to to this ruler that encountered Jesus. It's just money. It's, It's just exactly what this man was experiencing. Because some of you say, look, I, I, I like knowing about Jesus. I like reading the Bible. But anytime the Bible talks about money, I just am like, oh man, I, why do you have to talk about money? Can we talk about something else? Just don't talk about money. Don't, don't, the, I just don't like it when the Bible starts speaking about money. That makes me very uncomfortable. And if that's the way you feel, it's because that's the part that you're saying, Jesus, money, when you talk about money in my life, that's off limits. And just like the rich young ruler if you're following Jesus, you got to bring it all before, before Jesus. Because there may be a number of reasons why you're holding on to money. There may be a number of reasons why you're saying that's off limits. Maybe you're looking for money to bring you significance. Maybe you're looking for money to, to bring you pleasure. Or maybe you're looking to money to give you security. You feel safe with money. But you, it doesn't take much to look around and see how money can't keep you safe. Man, when you offer that up and follow Jesus, (laughs) you have the one who's holding the universe together, providing for your life. How can you get more secure than following Jesus? Offer all, all of it before Jesus in surrender. See, here's what in this series, what we've been learning is so often what we think about Jesus is we're like, look, I have my life. I have the things that I like. If Jesus can just help me do my life a little better, I've got my path, my plan, the things I want to accomplish in my life. I got the things that make me happy, the things that I want to do. If you can tell me how Jesus can help me do my life a little better than I'm game, but that's not what it means to follow Jesus. To follow Jesus means it's open-ended. It's his path, his plan, his way. It means taking the things of my life and I'm going to have to leave some of them behind. And for all of it, I'm going to have to open, open-handed say, Jesus, whatever in my life, Whatever you want to do with any part of my life, I'm putting it up to you. It's surrendered. What do you want to do? And so here's what I want to challenge every single one of us to do today. I want you to take this moment and hear Jesus calling you. He's saying to you, follow me. And so I want you to to search in your heart. What is that part of your heart that you're saying is off limits? Just go ahead right now. I just want you to just to sit there and think about that for a second. Maybe, maybe even just kind of close your eyes for a second. You just think, what is that area? Is it a relationship? Is it something that you do that is how you, hey, man, this makes me happy. This is, I find pleasure. Is it a drive for success? Is it money? What is that thing in your life that you say, man, I, I struggle to surrender this? And what I want you to do right there on the couch 
wherever you're watching this on your, on your on a device, on your TV, what I want you is I, I want you just to, to close your eyes for a second. And I, I want you to hold out your hands like this. Maybe you just put them right there in your lap. I want you to put your hands like this. And I want you to just in your mind, place whatever that thing is in your hands. And if you're brave enough, and you, or you're a Christ follower, because Christ followers, we can take things back along the way and forget that they're all surrendered to him. What is that thing that you've sensed God is tugging on your heart that you need to surrender? And I want you to put that th thing in your hands, in your mind. And if you're brave enough, I want you to surrender it. Say, Jesus, whatever you ask of me regarding this, I'm willing to do it. And I want you to sit there in that moment. I want you to ask, what is that action step that he's asking you to take? Some of you, maybe your drive for success is making you not prioritize with your time and you need to create greater boundaries. Some of you, you may have a relationship that you need to, to change some things about or just change the relationship. Some of you, there's, some, there's an activity or a habit you're doing in your life that you know that doesn't need to be a part of your life. For some of you, maybe you need to, you need to have a, like this, this rich young ruler here, you, you need to hold the finances, the resources of your life more open-handed to God. And you say, no, no, I'm, I can do that, I can do that. Well, as this ruler found, you never really know till the rubber hits the road. So how is he telling you to be generous? For some of you, it could be a simple step, maybe... You've never been generous towards your church. Or maybe you have and he's calling you farther into that. Maybe there's another way he's calling you to be generous with your stuff. Surrender everything. Because on the other end, you'll find so much more of what your soul is deeply desiring. Why is this the, the metaphor that he used? If you've had your eyes closed, you can look back up here for a second. Why is this the metaphor that Jesus picked? Why is this story preserved? Here's what it says in, in um, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. It says this. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. What was Jesus asking this ruler? It might sound like, man, he was asking this ruler an awful lot. He was just asking this ruler to mirror what he had done. Jesus' riches are more extreme than we could have imagined. God himself on the throne in the perfection of heaven, coming down to earth, confined to flesh, then being rejected and humiliated and tortured and facing the cross and facing death itself. Then being raised to life and he went through all of that suffering because we were spiritually impoverished and he wanted to make us join him in heaven. He's just saying, if you want to follow me, this is what I do. I lay it all aside in obedience to the Father. What's the difference between Peter and, and Andrew and James and John and Matthew and the rich ruler? They gave something up and this guy couldn't to follow him. There's really only one difference. 
There was a miracle, is what Jesus said. It's impossible. Those guys, Peter, Andrew, James, John, Matthew, they could not have done it if God hadn't done a miracle in their hearts. There's nothing you can do to have the perfection of God. But he does a miracle in his hearts and we respond by surrendering everything. Maybe for you today, God is doing that miracle inside your heart. I want us to take a second and just and pray. Would you just bow your head in, in prayer and just close your eyes? And wherever right now you are, you are at, if you're ready to take that step and follow Jesus, count the cost. That means there's nothing off limits for Jesus. But maybe you're ready. Maybe you're like, look, I'm ready to take that step because I know how much he, he's promising. He, he's what my soul is ultimately longing for. And I know what he gave up for me. How could I not offer everything back to him? And so maybe in this moment, you want to take that step and follow Jesus. And if that's you, I just want to lead you in this simple prayer right there, no matter what's going on in your life. Silently in your heart, repeat this prayer. Make this your prayer to God. Just say, Jesus, I surrender everything. I hold it out. I hold nothing back. There's nothing that's off limits to you. Because I know what you've done for me. Thank you for taking the cross. Thank you for taking away my sin. I want to follow after you. And I know that I'll experience things I can't imagine yet in this life and the one to come in heaven. I put my faith in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you just began that journey to follow Jesus just now, if that was your prayer, please let us know. We, we want to celebrate with you. We want to send you a Bible, no matter where you are. We want to send you a Bible. We want to celebrate with you. We want to help you along. You're, we're, we're together in this. So if that was your prayer, then here's what I would ask. Go to cityrev.org faith. You can just click on that right there. There's a link even in the chat. Just click that link. Ask you a couple short questions so we can send you a Bible. Would you take a second and do that right now? Because we want to celebrate that with you. Thanks for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at cityrev.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, you can email us at podcast at cityrev.org.